In this issue, we look at the gender pensions gap. Probably less well known than the gender pay gap, but important nevertheless. Looking back through the DC survey findings, we look at some of the statistics that help show how the gender pensions gap has come about. We'll look at lifestyle and working patterns. We'll look at why women are contributing less. And we'll look at how retirement age is an interesting aspect. And now, time for the interview. So welcome back. So I'm joined by Sophie Moore. Welcome back, Sophie. Hi, Stuart. Good to see you. How can you remind us what you do? Um, I'm a pension consultant in our DC advisory team based here in London. And joining us for the first time is Alison Leslie. Welcome. Thank you, Stuart. <laughs> and what, what is your role, Alison? I am also a pensions consultant. Um, I'm based in our Scottish office in Edinburgh. And um, I give advice to a number of clients, mainly trustees, um, on governance and investment matters. And I work with Sophie. So we, we're, we're going to be talking today about the gender pay gap. Yep. And what the survey has taught us um, predominantly from a female perspective. So with with International Women's Day coming up, what are the key themes around pensions? So it's always going to be a little bit between women and men. As soon as we think about Women's International Day, um, it's thinking about women issues that really affect women. I think thinking about the news at the moment, the gender pay gap is always going to come up. And, you know, from companies having to disclose their pay information, that straight away becomes a high profile case. Um, where I think that ties into pensions is actually the gender pensions gap, which is a lot less well known. Yeah, completely. So women retiring today can expect to receive about 40% less um, in terms of pension income than men on average. And I think what we discovered when we were looking at this was that that is not really known, generally speaking, specifically by women. Um, and there really needs to be messages around that to educate and better inform, to help them make better financial planning decisions going forward. Yeah, so I think when we were talking about gender pensions gap, really we're talking about women having a lower pension income and actually having to save more. And when it sort of a lot of this hit the press, I think it was towards the end of last year, yeah. um, when a lot more research came out. So there was one trade union, like you said, Alison, they actually put a number on that pension gap and put it close to 40%, which is huge. And so there were then all the headlines of kind of women facing glaring pension gap and shocking and, you know, really suddenly this realisation that women were quite a long way behind men in terms of that amount of pension income they were going to get at retirement. And that was very much focused on, you know, people retiring now, so people already at retirement age. I think what was then quite interesting was various studies that then sort of took that back a step and tried to project forward for a lot of the younger generation. And it was still a really big issue. So you still felt that women were quite a long way behind men in terms of that final... I think the BBC did some research and was saying that young women in their late 20s and early 30s faced an 11% smaller pension pot. So whilst the gap is narrowing, the gap is still there. Um, so it's not something that's going away and it needs to be addressed. And is this just because of a byproduct of the gender pay gap? Or is there something is, is there something deeper to, to this? Yeah, I'd say it's not just that. I mean, maybe that feeds into it in some aspects. And, you know, thinking about pensions more generally in the UK, we know there's a huge issue around not saving enough. But what I think the key reasons are around this gender pension gap are 
firstly, when we think about getting to retirement and, and making the money last, women are actually living longer than men. Lucky us. <laughs> <laughs> no. One study suggests a full two years, I think, something like that. <laughs> yeah, I think some of them are longer. Some of them were up to three or four yeah. years, I think. But generally, I think women are living longer. And so that means when you get to retirement, to have the same outcome as men, you know, you've got to make that money last. And then there were issues linked to the saving itself. So making sure that women are, you know, in the labour market, participating, getting those earnings through. So one which I think is huge is related to lifestyle and working patterns. So a much higher proportion of women are out of the workforce at any one time. We know that, we see that every day in, in the current market, mainly due to caring for a family or looking after a home. So actually they're away, they're not necessarily contributing at that time. Um, there's also a much higher proportion of women in part-time work. So I think one study I'd seen put it at 41% of women actually working part-time compared to only 13% of men. And that already brings down the amount they're contributing day to day. Um, and, and I guess that, that links on, you know, making sure that women um, contribute enough to actually make up those national insurance contributions they need. So getting to retirement and needing that 35 years worth in order to claim the full state pension. So I think there's issues there both in the state pension and private pension areas that need to be considered. And some people, obviously, because they're part-time, they earn less than the auto-enrolment minimum amount. So they're not being auto-enrolled into schemes. So again, it's that consideration of be proactive and actually join the scheme yourself and take control of it. Um, I think the other one of the other aspects that we discovered is um, that women tend to hold, hold quite a large proportion of student debt in particular. So one of the studies that we looked at, 64% of student debt was held by women. Wow. So... Um, Again, um, you, they have bigger debt to pay off um, and money there then necessarily goes elsewhere other than pension contributions. Mm, so I think not, not only actually lower contributions in absolute terms, perhaps because of you know the pay gap that you mentioned, but also that willingness to contribute. If they're feeling under pressure, yeah. you know, perhaps it's not a high priority for them. Uh, there's a lot going on. But actually, if they have got those debt levels as well. The willingness is perhaps not as high, and all of that. You know, once you once you consider all of those different factors and bring it together, you know, women really need to save more than men to achieve that comparable outcome in retirement. I mean, that flexible working is quite an interesting point because uh, it's a it's a growth area um, across well globally, I guess, and it's not going to help um, future generations necessarily save without any education so i mean what what can be done there um you know because it's, it's clearly gonna the gap isn't going to to get any smaller without proper education particularly for flexible workers agreed and i think the flexible working point is an interesting one because i think that applies to men as well as women because with all of the changes in sort of maternity rights and things like that increasingly we're now seeing men taking longer periods of time off and maybe being the ones that stay at home as well so i think that pattern will change as well going forward um and really what i think it's around is the education piece in terms of what does my, my journey look like, my career journey? And as a result, what do I need to do in terms of financial planning around that? And that may well be that if time is taken out, that you don't make contributions, but being aware that you haven't, and then you need to make them up later on. So it's very much kind of mapping out what your journey looks like. And that will be different for different people. So um, the communications need to be targeted 
potentially segmented, not necessarily just gender segmented, but very much looking at what are individuals doing yeah. and putting the appropriate support in place that actually helps them make those decisions. So um, a lot of it is around education um, and making sure that people are firstly aware of the gap, mm. as we've talked about, um, but secondly, aware of the things that they can do, firstly, to help themselves, but secondly, that employers can actually do to help them also. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's a really important aspect. I mean, what I found really interesting from our um, recent sort of 2018 DC survey was some of those behavioural aspects and looking at some of those differences between men and women and again you know back to some of Alison's points I don't think they're necessarily so well known mm-hmm. you know women themselves may not realize um, and actually company it's the kind of thing that companies need to think about as well when they're planning their communication or well-being strategy um, so certainly the research showed that women are more likely to be worried about running out of money in retirement so a much higher proportion of women compared to men who are actually really concerned about running out of money. Women told us they're more likely to go with the default contribution rate set by the company. So almost falling into whatever the default set at rather than taking the time out to do their own sort of financial planning. Um, certainly they were more concerned about the longer term. They found money and budgeting matters a lot more stressful. Yeah, I don't know if that's just women in general. <laughs> Maybe we're think, planners. And, uh, know. Interestingly, as well, that it, it said the survey said that um, whilst day to day women are more comfortable with budgeting and planning from a long term perspective, mm, they're far less confident. And actually, that confidence decreases with earnings for women, which I thought was quite a strange statistic as well. Yeah. So the more you earn, actually, the less the gap between confidence for men and women increases, mm. which was an interesting one. Yeah, I think there's some there's some quite interesting statistics there that I think feed into actually how you're planning a, a sort of communications or financial wellbeing strategy that you need to be aware of. It's back to the, the question around education and, and making sure women have access to, to some of those tools. I mean, I guess that it's not a bad thing, though, that such a high proportion of um, women are actually worried about running out of money because it would say that it's on their mind at least you know they're actually consciously thinking about it agreed I think the difficulty is that whilst they're consciously thinking about it it's translating that then into engagement and action which is always the challenge Um, and it's about doing that in a way that resonates with people and that's men as well as women Mm. Um, and also doing it in something that's very easy um, to do, I, I mean, we all know how many times you, you ask to go onto a site and then you ask for a password and then you have to change the password. And by the time you've got to those points, mm-hmm. actually, you're done. Um, so it's actually it's doing it in a way that uses tech and uses um, new new methods of communication to actually really resonate with people. And that way they will engage with it and they will make good choices and proactive choices as well. So is, is there anywhere that is doing a good job of this uh, and helping get that engagement rate up? So there's been some really interesting, we found some really interesting information, particularly around the Swedish model, um, where in 2013, um, they introduced the requirement for a pensions dashboard. Um, Initially, there was very little take up of it. And so they brought in behavioural psychologists to have a look at why. And they amended the tech and the use of it and did a number of studies around how people use it to try to increase the engagement. And as a result, now they have 50% of their population actually engaged and registered 
on this pensions dashboard idea. And that was all basically to encourage people to look at what pensions they had, plan for it, know how to, to use tools, to use planning methods, all that sort of thing. So really successful in Sweden. Um, there are some obvious differences between the Swedish market and ours. Yeah. Um, however, I think some of the lessons you know that can be learned from that um, are really powerful. And some of the tech in particular and ways of communicating a lot of um, the, the work on that, we can take some lessons from and um, incorporate into what we are doing as well. Mm. We're certainly seeing a lot of clients looking at their communication strategy, looking at the financial well-being strategy, and really thinking about how they segment the membership. Because I think it probably comes back to similar points, which are, you know, there are lots of different groups within that membership, and actually they they do have different needs. And in some ways, you know, women as a population, I mean, similarly as, as men or different ages or different salary bands, you know, all those factors, if we can think about them in a different way and communicate them, communicate with them hmm. in a way that's, engaging and has impact and is relevant to their situation we know you know we can say that you know from all the research it does have a much better success rate so i think the more that we can use individual circumstances and you know for women that might be you've just come back from maternity leave you know use that as an opportunity and even international women's day itself mm-hmm. so the fact that that's going to be a huge global event yeah. is another sort of marketing and engagement opportunity for companies and trustees to say, well, hang on, you know, and it won't be just women, it'll be women and men. Think about, you know, think about your pensions and maybe you you are projected to earn less than men and what are you going to do about it? Because there are things you can do. Um, but it's, it's making sure they've got the access to those tools. So I think to, to one of Alison's earlier points, using those financial planning tools and making sure they're available. Yeah, I think it's really useful. And I think we've seen certainly um, in clients that Sophie and I work on, um, a number of them looking at different ways of communicating. So having communication mm. journeys and um, looking at do we segment the membership um, and then also thinking, OK, what does this mean in terms of how we communicate? What's right for somebody potentially who's a millennial is not the correct method of communication for somebody perhaps later on. Um, and so it's, it's not only segmenting the actual communication you know, message, it's actually segmenting how you do that and what's most appropriate. Um, and it doesn't need to be anything terribly sophisticated. It can go from something very straightforward to one is paper-based and one is digital to actually much more sophisticated technology. But it's about actually thinking about what's right for your membership and actually working that through. Mm. And I think it probably links into the some of the broader financial well-being considerations so you know for women as well um the working patterns are really changing more generally anyway i mean there's a lot more women in work now um career patterns are quite different they're coming back into work you know they need to think about how they plan um across all these different areas that they're working through yeah, and I think that's it's the same across the board, as we said earlier, that um, we're seeing a big change in the way that people generally do work. So I think the traditional model of sort of go to school, have your education, go to work, then retire is disappearing. So people do different things at different times now. People will be studying sometimes mid-career, um, even late career. And so the points where you dip in and dip out of things 
are very much changing. So it's actually recognising that that sort of more traditional model now doesn't apply anymore. And actually, it needs to be a bit more fluid um, for the overall journey for people. Well, even with retirement ages, I guess, with equalisation, I mean, has, has that had an impact? So um, it's interesting because one of the things that came out of the study, um, particularly around the gender um, pensions gap, was that the expectations of men and women in terms of when they do retire has really narrowed. So in previous studies, we have seen um, women expecting to retire earlier than men. Um, but most recently in the 2018 study, that gap has gone completely. And I think that's probably to do with what Sophie had mentioned earlier about the equalisation of state pension age yeah. last year. So I think that sort of traditional view of actually there's a five year gap or whatever has very much disappeared in people's minds. And there's various statistics as well about the age that people are expecting to retire. Um, and I think one of the statistics was that 25% of people still expect to be working at the age of 70. And so, again, that has an impact in terms of your planning for retirement, in terms of the fact that people potentially might be working and drawing their pension, but also in terms of what that looks like. Do they take it as small pots of cash? Um, do they take it, you know, in what way do they actually take the income, draw down those sorts of things? So looking at all the new flexibilities that have come into play as well. So mm. it's quite interesting around that as well, that of the... 25 people that still expect to be working in that older age of 70 quite a proportion were because they don't think they'd be able to afford to retire i think that's actually quite worrying yeah <laughs> i hope we don't end up in that situation <laughs> but um you know that's important for the members themselves but also for companies i mean companies and trustees need to help that planning process so actually they can allow their members to retire you know it's important for the sort of evolution of the workforce. So it's a very serious issue, I think, that does need to be addressed. So, so what can employers and trustees do to, to help address that issue? So I think there are several things. Um, I mean, picking up on some of the things we've talked about before, um, there's the financial education piece. So how parental does an organisation want to be? Um, they can do some pretty sophisticated hand-holding type things in terms of almost appointing an IFA for people to support them and help them. Or they could just do signposting or a mix of different things. They can also look at their communication strategies. So how do you segment the members? Um, at what stages of their career do you segment them? Um, and also looking at the, the channels that you use to actually communicate with people. Um, is it digital? Is it paper? Um, are you using apps? A whole variety of different things that are available. Um, there's also some nudges. Um, you can use nudge technology. Yeah, I think that... Well, that's been particularly interesting on the app side of things because that's been a difference where we've seen schemes actually switching over to providing a lot of support through literally an app on your phone and suddenly it isn't that difficult to log in. You can get sort of tailored messages that sort of pop up. They're using the notifications. Exactly. Um, and that is so much more powerful. Uh, we're seeing a, a much better success rate through that. Um, it can be tailored to the individual you know, so in terms of what else they've been doing on the app it feels a bit more proactive as well doesn't it you know you're getting the app engaged with you rather than you having to you know, exactly and i think the accessibility is really important as well you know people just sat on the train going home you know you've got time to go onto an app you're not always going to be sat around having your 
um, laptop or desktop handy to L- go listening to the on. pensions podcast which obviously will be on there <laughs> <laughs> but that's been huge I mean I can't underestimate the number of schemes that have had huge success with that um, so building that into actually day to day and you know that links that can again link back to a lot of um, maybe aspects that are more relevant for women like okay coming back from maternity leave you know you you might know from what's been happening on the app okay actually we need to nudge this person to remind them and you can do that really easily so there's so many opportunities I mean it comes back to what I think a lot of what Alison was saying around personalized communications and and understanding how those needs are different and making sure it's tailored yeah. And one of the things we've seen quite a rise in with some of our clients as well is what we call impact statements or mini statements. Mm. Um, and this is really, this is something tailored to the individual saying, do you know if you increase your contributions by 1%, this is the difference this will actually make? And the fact that often these are tailored, you know, so it'll start off saying, do you know Alison, that actually if you do this, this is the impact this will have. Um, and that, that really resonates with members rather than the sort of very um, regulatory benefit statement, which we're very used to seeing. Unfortunately, I know, which indeed. may not go away anytime soon. <laughs> Adam, Adam picked up on that uh, in the last episode and, you know, 1% can have such a huge difference to somebody's outcome if done over 10, 15 years. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's that compounding of money over time it is absolutely huge. I think that comes back to how important it is to engage some of the younger generations in saving as well. So we know people aren't saving enough. Um, but in particular, that gender pensions gap is still there, even for younger women in the workforce and potentially because they might have longer career gaps coming up if they're going to start a family in later years you know, they need to be planning for that now yeah because actually when they get to retirement they need a bigger pot to have that sort of similar level of outcome that men have so yeah. there are lots of underlying issues there that they need to think about so i think there's an element of you know women helping themselves but also trustees and companies helping their staff in the, in the best way that they can and taking some of the feed out of it I think you know quite a lot of the headlines are often quite sensationalist and you know they're they're intended to create that do you know there's a 40% gap or mm, whatever yeah. but actually things like the impact statement show you that by doing very small things over a long period of time can actually make quite a big difference so it's it's the education piece without the fear piece as well mm. so that people fully understand they know what they can and they can't do and they're therefore setting realistic um ways of of planning and 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 um, and getting to where they want to be i actually think that's really relevant for the behavioral side of things so we've talked a little bit about financial well-being strategies and we know from the survey that women might approach some areas slightly differently and that's really important so actually you know being less confident potentially I mean this isn't going to be everybody but for those that are you know letting those women know that actually you're not alone there is support there you know as a board of trustees or as a firm we want to be able to support you and just making it more accessible yeah and I think employers are seeing the benefit of that as well it's a really Mm. important way of retaining and recruiting staff Mm. is actually showing we are looking after you in a holistic way um, as opposed to just sort of very specific aspects of things because pension is a big part of your overall package now so well let's let's hope actually that um, you know employers and pension funds take note of today's podcast and you know use International Women's Day to send out a positive message to you know start considering to save more
Absolutely. Definitely. It's been a pleasure to talk to you both. So, Alison, Sophie, thank you very much. Thank you.